Good to have you back here on the show. Welcome to Sports Talk. He's Adrian Broaddus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. So much going on in sports. So much going on in football. My goodness gracious. Look what happened today. Daniel Jones gets paid. Saquon gets tagged. Lamar gets tagged. The Jets are on a private jet out to California to meet with Aaron Rodgers personally. I'm so interested in how that meeting's going to go. God, I wish I could be a fly on the wall listening to that. I mean, it's going to be team owner Woody Johnson, general manager Joe Douglas, head coach Robert Sala, and offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett. Oh, man. That will be so interesting to see how that meeting's going to go. Sometimes I, there are certain meetings I wish I could be privy to. I really could. Like, I would have loved to have been in the uh, hiring process for UTEP when they've uh, made some of their coaching changes and coaching decisions. I would have loved to have been part of that. Never was. But that would have been awesome. This is another thing. Sign me up. God, I'd love to hear how this conversation is going to go with Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. So interested. We know one thing. We know the Packers are uh, they're done. They are ready to move on. So even though we said on yesterday's show it would be the most Aaron Rodgers thing ever to say he's coming back to Green Bay and Green Bay doesn't want him anymore, at least the management team doesn't want him anymore, um, I think Rodgers knows the writing on the wall. And that would be the worst, most uncomfortable distraction ever and probably sour his legacy with the franchise and the fans and all that. So I think that even though a lot of the Packer faithful will tell you they don't want to see number 12 go, he knows he's got to get out, and we'll see if the Jets are going to be the destination. I am so fascinated by this story, Adrian. It's a biggie. Uh, it's a huge story. It's probably the second biggest story out right now in, in football, and I would say with Aaron Rodgers uh, going to New York, hey, he could rekindle with his uh, boy and Nathaniel Hackett. Remember, the Broncos hired Hackett in hopes that they could lure away Aaron Rodgers from Green Bay over last offseason. Instead, their consolation prize was Russell Wilson, who had a, a down year last year, but still, you know, uh, a top, uh, I guess, a previous top quarterback in the NFL at one point, and now Nathaniel Hackett gets fired from Denver, is hired by Robert Sala to be their offensive coordinator in New York, and maybe he can court Aaron Rodgers to join the Jets because there's a lot of familiarity right there, and it's a franchise that's willing to spend the big bucks and trade for Aaron Rodgers. You know, you called um, you called Nathaniel Hackett. Aaron Rodgers' boy. So it made me look up Nathaniel Hackett's age. He's 43. He's only four They're years. Boys. He's only four years younger or older, I should say, than Rodgers. I mean, they're they're practically the same age, those two. Yeah. They're boys. I'm telling you, man. They were great friends when and Nathaniel Hackett was the offensive coordinator under uh, LaFleur in Green Bay. That's where Hackett uh, really uh, got his start. And, and uh, Aaron Rodgers has spoke very highly of Nathaniel Hackett throughout his time. Look, the, the uh, jury is out right now on Hackett because every, mm-hmm. everybody thinks he's a bad coach from his small stint in, or short stint in, uh, in Denver. But maybe he can uh, earn some more credibility if he's able to uh, generate, you know, fuel an offense around Aaron Rodgers and lead the Jets to the promised land, I, I think this is a nice awesome. match made in, match made in heaven right here between offensive coordinator and quarterback. At least it's not a match made in hell. 
Let's put it that way. Like some for, like some teams they're dealing with right now. Like the whole NFC South minus New Orleans. Yeah. You like, just, uh, oh, God. Can you imagine? Between Tampa Bay, Atlanta right now, what they're dealing with along with Carolina. What, well, a, what a disaster. Yeah, well, talk about a match made in heaven between Lamar Jackson, that front office in, in Baltimore. I can't believe it. I can't believe they did the non-exclusive franchise tag on him. I, and, and the Jets the are on the flight right now to California. No thought of rerouting that flight to Baltimore if you're in New York? No, because they don't want to give up two number ones and have to pay a king's ransom long-term for um, Lamar Jackson. They probably will figure one number one, two years, three years, whatever they give, um, you know, whatever they give uh, Rodgers, and they, they, they know what they're getting. I mean, that's the one thing you say. Listen, when you get Aaron Rodgers, you pretty much know exactly what you're getting. And the one thing Rodgers has been over the years is durable. Lamar Jackson has played 12 games each of the last two seasons. So... You know, I'll be really interested to see how this thing goes. Um, I, you know, the Jets, I, I just don't think they're going to want to give up the kind of money and the two number ones for Lamar. But you know what? There are plenty of teams in this league that would do just that. That's right. It's not going to be. It's not going to be the Jets. Uh, I would take um, Aaron. I would take Aaron Rodgers maybe for a one-year deal over Lamar for five. I. I mean, I, I would rather have Lamar for the next five years than have Aaron Rodgers just for two. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about here. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is here to go with the Jets possibly to win the Super Bowl in this short window that the Jets have to try to win a championship knowing they've got all these guys on rookie deals and they're, they've got a lot of salary cap flexibility um, I think you can go uh, you could probably name 10 teams right away across the NFL who will be in the hunt and in the market for Lamar Jackson right now but for Aaron Rodgers in New York maybe it makes the most sense right here Steve are you cool with it are you cool with uh, Joe Namath possibly handing that number 12 over to Aaron Rodgers that's his decision not mine if, if if Joe Willie is ready to do it, then I'm I'm, I'm on board with that. That's fine. Can you um, be like those fans with your Joe Namath jersey and put like uh like tape over and write Rogers or something like that? You know what would be hilarious if you took your twelve, did just a nameplate, stitched it on, yes, and then as soon as he's done, you take a knife to it and you just get rid of it and yes. you bring Namath back. Yes, you should do this. You should. You're talking out. You're speaking this out into existence right here. And that's pretty funny. Yeah, that is pretty funny. I oh, like yeah. this. I've been on board with Rogers since day one. I've been telling you that Rogers to the Jets makes the most sense. It really does. I'm not guaranteeing that they're going to be going deep in the playoffs, but given their needs and what they have to offer right now, Rogers by far and away is the most uh, would be the best fit of this whole group. Oh man, he would. You know how he loves to capture headlines. Every day there would be a yeah, section on Aaron Rodgers in the New York Post. Between the Post and the Daily News, they would have a field day with Aaron Rodgers. They would. They would have a field day with him. And truth is this. You know, ever since ever since Aaron Jones has played with the Packers, I watch every Packer uh, post-game press conference with Rodgers just to see what he says about Jones. Aaron Rodgers answers every question. He doesn't get testy. He doesn't uh, avoid questions and answers. He doesn't get into it with the media. He uh, Sometimes he's sarcastic and he jokes around with them. He answers every question, win or lose. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's it's a New York dream to have somebody that will go out there and at least be transparent with the media.
No, that's a really good point. I mean, you look at Tony Romo's big deal with CBS. You look at Tom Brady's future deal with Fox Sports uh, and all the millions of dollars those two guys are earning. Don't you feel like Aaron Rodgers wants to kind of be a part of this new media wave of former athletes when he's uh, you know ready to call it quits and uh, finish out his NFL career? He's no. in New York, if that's the case, if he ends up signing with the Jets. I could see him doing his own podcast, uh, that doing his see. own, like, being a color commentator on the side. I don't it's- think so. I think he'd rather host Jeopardy. Okay, I like that. So some kind of media. That's We're, we're yeah. on the same commonality, like some kind of media post-NFL career. There you go. Maybe he could maybe he could start hosting The Bachelor for yes. uh, Jesse Palmer. That show's in the tank since uh what was it Chris Harrison? He left the show, they got rid of him. They brought in a former football player who was on the show and now it's in the crapper. So maybe uh, Aaron Rodgers rescues The Bachelor in a couple of years when they need him to. I could see it, man. He's uh he has great charisma. Uh he is a narcissist, I'll say, but he's entertaining at least. He's right? weird. Yes. He is one weird, weird dude. So I like that. You got to have a little weird in you to be, uh, you know, to be good. Although Patrick Mahomes doesn't have any weird in him, and he's great. You Just know, that's his voice. Yeah. yeah, well, that's true. But, I mean, what are you going to do? All right. Uh, so that's one of the big stories right now. And, by the way, Lamar Jackson, here are the top five fits. Raiders, Colts, Jets, Panthers, and the number one fit, the Atlanta Falcons. I'm sad because both the Falcons and uh, the the second team that you mentioned on that list. Yeah, that would be the Panthers. The Pan- the Panthers. Those two were, were the one among the few who have already sent out things. Uh, not the Panthers. It was the Raiders. The Falcons and the Raiders have already told reporters uh, that they are not interested. They're not pursuing Lamar, which I'm kind of interested by. Vegas wow. has Vegas right now. I don't. I know they don't have the roster necessarily, but they do have the picks. Let me tell you something about the Raiders. Okay. If the Raiders were smart, they'd go get themselves Jimmy Garoppolo. I think with that skill set of what they have in terms of the offense, as long as he can stay healthy, and if not, you got the former Patriot backing him up, I like that situation with Garoppolo in, in, in Vegas. I really do. I think that's a good spot for him. Yeah, I mean, and it's an inexpensive option right there. This will tell us a lot, right, with Lamar Jackson, because if there are if there is an owner out there willing to give Lamar some crazy type of deal, uh, I'll give you an example. So the the rumors right now, this is Scott Polek of Bleacher Report. He has said that the Raiders, Dolphins, and the Panthers are unlikely to pursue Lamar Jackson. What about the Washington Commanders, who have been looking for a quarterback for uh, forever, really? And it seems like Ron Rivera is on his way out if he doesn't turn things around in Washington. They just hired Eric Bieniemy, uh, who would probably have a field day with Lamar Jackson. Why not send off uh, everything you can to try to get him and then pay him the money that he wants? That is so interesting. Here's the question, though, okay? Think about this. The Commanders... And the Ravens are in the same area. Why would you help a team that's in your own backyard? Even if it's a different conference, why would you do it? 
I mean, he'd be going an hour down I-95. I don't know if that would make any sense right now if you're uh, if you're Baltimore. Okay, here's the ultra conspiracy on this Washington, okay? Dan Snyder is at odds with all the owners right now. Imagine the parting gift right before Dan Snyder uh, sells his team as he tells all the owners, hey, look at how much guaranteed money I'm going to give this quarterback and turn around and sell the team and not even yeah. have to worry about it. That's, that's his kind of parting gift. Remember, it's not like the Ravens have to say they, – they have to also – match that offer sheet so if the Washington Commanders or any other team out there wants to give Lamar Jackson some big bucks it's up to the Ravens to match that money or get those two draft picks in return I mean I could see that Washington does own the number 16 pick this year how interesting would that be if the Ravens got number 16 and then on another number one pick so um, I, I don't know I think they would do it I because here's the really cool thing now and this is something else to understand about Lamar Jackson he is his own agent. He is negotiating himself. So that means that whatever team talks to Lamar, if he likes the deal, he doesn't have to worry about getting anybody to, to bless off on it. It's him. He's the only one. Yeah, it's not like he's going to make trips to Atlanta or to Carolina and meet with owners himself as his own representation. I mean, you talk about proximity, more reason for Washington, right? I mean, Ron Rivera yeah. could meet him at his house and, and talk with him there or Dan Snyder, That's whoever. Right. One hour drive and he's there. Simple as that. Might not need to, uh, you know, relocate as as he he may have uh, if he uh, moved cross country or something like that. All right. I am so interested uh, as we get started on the show today. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Really excited. Jay Jaffe is going to join us a day early. Normally we talk baseball and beer with Jay on Wednesdays, but hey, there's no show tomorrow. Tomorrow it's all about UTEP and their uh, first round game in the CUSA championship against Western Kentucky. We start our coverage at four o'clock. Tip off at four thirty. So we're done after today's show, possibly done for the rest of the week, and I'll explain why. There will be no show tomorrow. If the Miners win tomorrow, there's no show Thursday because they'll play Florida Atlantic, and then the women, if they win on Thursday morning, would play Friday at 3.30. So this could be it for a while, folks. That's one of the reasons why we're moving guests around this week and bringing Jay Jaffe on the show uh, coming up uh, next, and then... In our 5 o'clock hour, Track Talk with Eric Alwyn. He'll start us off at 5. At 6, Andrew Forrest will be walking in from El Paso Locomotive FC. They're kicking off this weekend. So much to cover as we go to Charlie 1 and get our first traffic update of the afternoon. Also coming up today, Kevin Baker, 520, will join us. Busy 5 o'clock hour right after uh, Track Talk. Excited about that. The UTEP women. They got a big date on Thursday with La Tech. Chance to get into the semis of the CUSA championships over in the women's division. Women's bracket, I should say. All right, uh, let's talk a little baseball and beer right now. Jay Jaffe back with us from Fangraphs.com. And as I mentioned, with a no-show tomorrow because of UTEP men's basketball playing against Western Kentucky in the first round, Jay was kind enough to rearrange his schedule and uh, join us uh, today. Instead, that rare Tuesday with Jay. In fact, I'll be honest, Jay, we've done Thursdays, we've done Fridays. I don't even know if we've ever done Tuesdays with you. This could be a first here on Sports Talk. 
Boy, that's ex- exciting times in El, in El Paso. <laughs> it is. It is. We've uh, telling you the our, our listeners are, are are chopping at the bit on this one. And by the way, I, I've been looking at uh, your FanGraphs page. You held a chat uh, today earlier with uh, your readers uh, at FanGraphs.com. You wrote about Max Scherzer and the new pitch clock rules earlier. Hit on uh, National League contenders in the weakest positions. Another very cool column. Will you be writing about the World Baseball Classic since that's getting ready to ramp up? Um, I'm not sure. I've got something on Chris Sale and the Red Sox rotation coming out tomorrow. Um, I've, uh, I'm certainly interested enough in the, in the Classic, but um, we've got a couple people covering it in, uh, in a couple spots. Um, I'm not sure how much I will be writing for coverage of it. I do love it. I will watch the hell out of it. Mm. Um, but uh, I don't have anything uh, planned specifically right now. Okay. Um, we'll see. You know what's really interesting to me? Baseball's having all these rules changes, but everybody who plays in the WBC is going back to the old rules. Yeah, I think it's an inevitability just because of the way that um, – you know these these international teams are not necessarily they're they're not they're not subject to this to uh, they're not changing their rules like the you know the KBO and uh, uh, NPB are not uh, um, you know they're not doing the pitch clocks right now they're not doing the larger bases they're you know it's so um, you know the international rules have always been a little bit different I mean you know the um, the uh, runner on second rule uh, is closer to you know to to what ha- to how this works in international play um, than it was adopted by Major League Baseball, but it doesn't necessarily work in the other direction um, that uh, Major League Baseball rules are adopted at the international level. That's true. That is true. Um, one thing I will say, we get a chance to see more Shohei Otani since he's playing for Japan. I understand he went yard like 420 on a knee for Japan in an exhibition game. That's been making the rounds all day. Wow. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that, but I think Japan's team is, is, is pretty interesting. Uh, they've got some, some great young pitchers, uh, including uh, Roki Sasaki. Um, we've got uh, some coverage on the, on, of uh, – some of the names to know uh, at Fangraphs, and uh, I've been been looking around there. It's the Japanese team, I think, is is probably uh, one of the favorites, thanks to Otani and these pitchers. I'll tell you somebody else that's really kind of cool that nobody knows about. Lars Nootbaar is playing for Japan. Oh yeah, that's an interesting one. There's uh, Lars Nootbaar playing for Japan, and Tommy Edmund playing for Korea. Those are two uh, two of the more uh, or le- less intuitive um, uh, connections uh, to international teams uh, for for uh, higher-profile major league players. You're right. And by the way, since they're already playing exhibition games out there, uh, you know, I guess in Korea, and seeing the video of Otani going yard in an exhibition game, I think the coolest thing is, you know, he's been in the States now the last couple of years after really uh, being a legend in Japan before he came over. Getting a chance to go back there and get to play wearing that jersey that's got Japan on there, that's, that's, to me, that's one of the best parts about the WBC and what they do every four years. Yeah, and I, I don't think you could underestimate how much it means to these players, um, you know, especially the ones who come from foreign countries and are, and are playing for, uh, you know, uh, playing here in the States, how much it means to them to get to represent their countries in this context. And even, you know, the players for Team USA feel 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 similarly. I, I think it's just it's such an honor 
to you know to be able to to put on that uh, the, your country name on your uniform um and and represent in that way you've got uh, you know you're 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 automatically a hero in that regard boy just watch that otani home run while we were talking one of them that's uh, that was a that was a big league jack it was especially the way they covered it with the crowd and background and and that it was very very nice i loved it too um all right uh, meanwhile i'll ask you since you held your chat today how many questions did you field about the pitch clock from readers um you know, I don't. I don't, even, I don't. I think maybe one. I'm not even sure. Um, one or two. You know, talking about the new rules. It was a lot about stole, stolen bases and, and and the pitch clock or stolen bases and the and the pickoff rules mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, and uh, but uh, you know, I, I I get to select which questions I choose, and maybe there was there weren't any uh, uh, pitch clock ones that stood out to me. Um, uh, in the way that they did maybe last week, but uh, I've spent a lot of time writing about the pitch clock the last the last week or so. Kenley Jansen and Scherz, Max Scherzer, and uh, watching Chris Sale yesterday, I saw he had one pitch clock violation, but generally a pretty fast worker. So I don't expect him to be um, have a problem with it. Do you expect stolen bases to really go up in a big way since everybody's stealing in the spring and with the bigger bases, it seems like it's that much easier now to try to steal. Yeah, I think we'll see more of it. I think it's I think it's it's the the pickoff rules. You know, you can only throw over two times um, per plate appearance. Uh, you know, unless, unless you know if if you if you don't pick the guy off, um, if you throw over the third time, and you don't pick him off. He gets he gets the base. Um, I think we'll see it go up. I think there's going to be more. You know, the risk reward trade off changes. I think teams are searching for, you know, where the, um, uh, you know, where the new. Uh, uh, break-even point is, but I expect we'll see, you know, a rise of stolen bases, maybe 20%. I don't know. Um, be nice to see a bunch of guys stealing uh, 50 bases again. Where do you think, uh, let me talk about some injuries right now, since we're talking about that too. Uh, Jose Quintana of the Mets, he's got a small stress fracture in his fifth rib on his left side. Where do you think the Mets go to try to get that fifth man in the rotation while uh, Quintana heals? I mean, I think they probably stay internal. I think it's I think it's David Peterson. Um, you know, this is you you know, there's no team out there who just you know for whom uh, you know you drop off a cliff uh, after the fifth starter because you got to assume that these kind of injuries are going to arise. And I, you know, last week somebody was asking me in a chat, when are the Mets going to trade Carlos Carrasco so they can put David Peterson in the rotation? It's like, buddy. Carlos Carrasco is going to get hurt. Somebody else is going to get hurt. David Peterson is going to make plenty of starts for for, for the Mets this year. And here we go. Um, you know, I don't know how bad Quintana's rib is compared to Chris Sale's rib, mm-hmm. but Chris Sale didn't didn't even get on a minor league mound last year after getting a stress fracture in the winter. Uh, didn't even get on a minor league mound until until mid June. So um, this is this is a significant injury. Unfortunately, I mean. Uh, uh, it can take a while to come back from. I hope Quintana fares better, but uh, um, yeah, the Mets are going to need some depth there. Meanwhile, I don't know if you saw the video of Justin Turner getting hit on the face by that pitch yesterday, yeah. but scary yeah. stuff. Matt Manning uh, drilled him, and you know, luckily you found out that he was able to get out of the hospital. But here's a guy that's been a very, very good baseball player throughout the course of his career. Just got to Boston, and the last thing you want to see is him getting beamed in the face. Yeah, sixteen stitches. Fortunately, no fractures. Um, you know, that's no con- and, and uh, uh, apparently no concussions. So that's good news. But a really scary moment. And uh, um, 
you know, I thought the Dodgers should have retained Turner. It's weird. They did kind of a, if effectively, they did a swap uh, of Turner and J.D. Martinez, and I thought the Dodgers got the shorter end of that because um, I think Justin Turner can still be a, a uh, world-class DH and occasional, in, you know, corner infielder. J.D. Martinez had such a bad year, um, you know, and has been has been trending downward for for years. I, I'm not sure what 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 rationale the Dodgers had there, but uh, um, be interesting to see. I'll be I'll be keeping my eye on that exchange. Uh, all year long. Yeah, uh, that makes two of us. I think it is going to be very interesting. Um, with the news that Colorado lost Brandon Rogers, possibly for the season with that shoulder injury, um, Mike Moustakis comes back into the mix. I haven't heard Moose in a while. He gets an opportunity now to, uh, to, to go to Colorado. And although he really kind of underperformed the last couple of years over in uh, Cincinnati, this is a pretty interesting acquisition, isn't it? Yeah, you know, Mustakas has had an interesting career. He's 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 had some health issues, but um you know, he's also uh and, and he's a couple years removed from uh from his big seasons. Didn't really work out all that well in Cincinnati for him, but uh uh had a nice season with the Brewers a couple years ago. I guess 2019 we're not that not, not, not no longer a couple years ago. It was 4 years ago, but um I don't know. I mean, Colorado, that team is just so so threadbare. Um, I hope he can revive his bat there. Really, you know, too bad about uh, Brendan Rodgers. That's a, a a guy they've been waiting for for a long time to develop, and uh, uh, seem to have a pretty clear path to some time this year. But uh, a tough injury for him. More with Jay as we keep things moving. But right now, let's get to Adrian in this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Thank you very much. We're back with Jay. We'll get his beer pick in a little bit. And we also recommend a couple of Jay's recent articles. The weakest positions on American League contenders and National League contenders. He wrote uh, these two stories uh, late last week, and they're both up right now at Fangraphs.com, along with a chat and a story uh, about Max Scherzer as well. And he mentioned uh, Chris Sale coming up at, uh, again, Fangraphs.com. As we continue right now with Jay, uh, Aaron Judge went yard uh, in this first spring t- uh, spring uh, training home run, and a lot of people are wondering right now uh, how do you try and top what uh, last season was like sixty two home runs, and um, you know the Yankees kept him big. That was a big decision since uh, other teams were flirting with Judge, and uh, you also wonder since uh, he'll be in left field um, if he'll be able to just continue right where he left off last season. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we're going to see the same. You know, I mean, look, sixty-two homers. Obviously, that's, that's we hadn't seen 62, 62 homers from uh, American League player, or six, even sixty homers from an American League player in sixty years. So, expecting it to happen again is like expecting lightning to strike uh, again. And uh, there's word that uh, uh, Major League Baseball may have been, um, you know, funneling some of the uh, uh, more favorable. Uh, for distance balls uh, to them. There were multiple baseballs in play last year um, based on the research of uh, Dr. Meredith Wills here uh, that may have uh, aided and abetted that uh, that 62 homer uh, output here. We have him projected for 46 home runs this year. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets into the, into the low 50s. Um, 62, uh, again, I, I don't think we can expect that. But uh, um, he's not going to be playing. I don't think he's going to be playing that much left field, but he's going to be playing some left field so that they can put – Giancarlo Stanton in right field um, because uh, Yankee Stadium is asymmetrical and it really kind of takes a center fielder to cover left field. Um, 
because it's 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 uh, it's so big out there. But right field is is uh, is much smaller, and uh, Stanton probably doesn't need uh, to cover as much, he won't need to cover as much ground out there, and uh, um, so it'll be interesting to see how that alignment works. Let's talk about another outfielder who's this time hanging it up. Lorenzo Cain, two-time All-Star, former ALCS MVP, said he will retire as a Royal. I love this story, Jay. He's got three boys, all between the ages of five and eight, and according to The Athletic, he asked the kids, do you want me to keep playing ball, or are you ready for me to be done and go home? And they said, Dad, we want you to go home. And he's listening to them, so he is uh, going to uh, retire uh, from you know Major League Baseball. And you look at uh, his body of work and his career, never really a big home run hitter. In fact, double digits just four times in his career. But we mentioned the two-time All-Star career, 283 hitter, also 190 stolen bases. Uh, A couple of times he had either uh, high 20s or 30 uh, in his career. Lorenzo Cain, another nice ball player uh, for a good part of that career. Yeah, look, Kane was a key figure on those 2014-2015 Royals. Um, I have very fond memories of covering him. Uh, The one year that Sports Illustrated sent me out on the road to cover the playoffs was 2015. Um, I went to Kansas City for the the, uh, final leg of the ALCS between the Royals and the Blue Jays. It turned out the Royals won. Uh, the uh, game six, and so I didn't have to stay for game seven. But that was the one where Kane dashed home from first base, um, just a mad dash from first base, and and it was one of the coolest things I'd seen. And for a while, for a long time, my lock screen on my iPhone was Sports Illustrated's picture of Kane uh, jumping on home plate uh, with the backdrop of the of the uh, uh, Kauffman Stadium scoreboard, that big crown. And it was just a really cool photo. I have fond memories of, of watching Kane. He was he was a lot of fun when he was healthy. Unfortunately, what couldn't stay healthy uh, a lot in recent years. And uh, it seemed pretty apparent that he was, uh, I think, uh, headed towards this retirement here. He um, uh, he opted out in 2020 after playing just a few games in the pandemic, and really was kind of a shadow of himself when he came back last year and the and the Brewers released him and I think you know that was the last year of his free agent contract or, or of his uh, uh his long-term contract and it sounded like he was uh, uh sort of had made his peace with the fact that he was probably done. So, you know, glad he gets to retire a Royal. I mean, he's always going to be fondly remembered as part of that championship team and really had uh, some very nice seasons both for the Royals and the Brewers there. I'm with you on that one uh, once again, and I'm sure there'll probably be a nice write-up on Lorenzo Cain as well on, on Fangraphs in the next couple of days. Jay, let's wrap it up. Beer pick of the week. What would you like to focus on this week? Okay, I just got a case of beer from Torch and Crown in Lower Manhattan, and with it, uh, one of my favorite beers in terms of the the uh, art on the can, uh, perfect for the start of baseball season. This is their Bat Flip Spring Ale. Um, it's a uh, one they've been doing since since I think I think it was 2020 um, uh, when they were watching a lot of KBO baseball like the like the rest of us here. Uh, I'm not even sure what which hops are in it here, but it's a nice uh, blonde ale, uh, light hoppy, but but very drinkable. I think it comes in at about uh, uh, five five point four percent. I think is what what the website said. Anyway, very good session ale. Yeah, 5.4% ABV. Very good session ale, and uh, 
um, uh, one that I, uh, beer that I always look forward to seeing at this time of year. I love the can. You described it. Uh, there's a lot of different ball players, a lot of different swings, bat flips, colors as well. They even had some fun with the uh, word flip. The eye kind of gets like like the bat in in one of the swings. Pretty uh, pretty nice design on that. And you don't find a lot of good baseball themed beers these days. I know the San Diego Brewery has one when it comes to Tony Gwynn, but not a ton out there. Yeah, there's um, Cooperstown Brewer, Brewing Company has some, but yeah, outside of that, you don't see a lot of them, and uh, it's a, it's an undervalued sector of the market. Jay, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. We'll talk to you again next week. We'll navigate around the NCAA tournament and uh, appreciate the insight like you deliver every time here on the show. All right. Thanks, Steve. Take care. Jay Jaffe, folks, from Fangraphs, 20 in front of 5. We've got a busy 5 o'clock hour. Track talk, and then Kevin Baker. We'll talk to the UTEP women's head coach all coming up. And then still to come, Locomotive at 6 with Andrew Forrest. Sports Talk continues, 600 ESPN El Paso. You hear on Sports Talk, 505-6009. That is our telephone number to get right on in and through to the program. Love to hear from you, um, especially regarding all of the uh, football news today. A little baseball with Jay. You know, did the Giants make a mistake by giving all that money to Daniel Jones and not Saquon Barkley? That's another question. You know, Giants, four years, $160 million with Daniel Jones, who really, you could say, earned that this past season. He had the best season of his career. Took the Giants into the playoffs. The non-exclusive franchise tag was on running back Saquon Barkley, and probably smart, right? Because who is going to go ahead and sign Saquon to an offer sheet considering how devalued running backs are in general in the NFL? Yeah, and not to mention how many injuries Saquon Barkley has dealt with. Uh, I mean, he's had uh, torn ACLs in his right knee. He missed three consecutive seasons with injuries at different points, 2019, 2020, and 2021. Missed all of the pretty much the pandemic season, that 2020 season, because of that torn ACL. So the durability is the biggest question with Saquon. There's no denying the skill set right there. Uh, They have shopped around publicly and and also behind closed doors Saquon and they never really liked any of the offers they received uh, in return so this makes sense but the Daniel Jones one doesn't for me I I don't understand why you don't put the franchise tag on him I get it it'll be right around that same annual value price but that way you're not locked in to all that guaranteed money that you owe to Daniel Jones and if things go south which I'm not ready to say that Daniel Jones is a franchise quarterback just yet uh, Giants might be ready I'm not uh, but if they don't think that that's the case after a couple years, then they can cut ties with him without having to worry. At least this is not – you're not breaking the bank for Daniel Jones. You're just spending money. Well, here's what's even more interesting, okay? Had the Giants, let's say, not worked a deal out with Jones, they would have franchised him, like you said, and then Saquon would have been a free agent. They wouldn't have signed him. Because they would have had no money at that point. Like Because now the annual average for Daniel Jones's deal, it shakes out to around just under $40 million. If they did the franchise tag, it would have been like $45 million. That's the uh, average annual for the quarterback on, under the tag. And yeah, you're right. They would have had to re- release Saquon or use, designated him for that post-June 1st cut. Look, I'm with you about Daniel Jones. But if you're going to pay Derek Carr $40 million a year... 
and, and you know, Jones is younger. Jones had a better season. Um, I think he had um, seven rushing touchdowns last season, 15 in the air, five interceptions, 3,200 yards, 700 y- yards on the ground. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's better. And he took them to the playoffs. That's better. That's better than Derek Carr. And Derek Carr just cashed in in a huge way with New Orleans. I feel like everything with the Giants right now is trending upward, so why would you shake up this nucleus? Everybody speaks so highly of Daniel Jones as a locker room guy in New York. So with the Giants, a guy who's led you to the promised land in the playoffs, something that you haven't done in a long time, I get it. And maybe it's more of a product of the coaching staff and uh, you know what they really got out of this entire team when, when you look at it. But, I mean, look at the receivers Daniel Jones had. It wasn't like any household names. I Isaiah Hodgins, uh, Richie James. You didn't know any of these guys. So the fact that they were able to be as successful as they were, uh, it's a testament to the leaders of this team, and it starts with Daniel Jones. Understand this too, okay? Um, Had they tagged Daniel Jones, the Giants would have had $32.4 million directly tied to the salary cap, and they would have had a hard time with any kind of offseason move. This contract gives them more flexibility because the way they can structure it and now build around them, which is uh, really which is important. Right, and and another thing is people might I, you, I agree completely, and to your point, uh, people might ask, well, why this much money? I think Kyler Murray's contract that he signed last off season, along yeah. with Deshaun Watson, those guys signing those big deals with guaranteed dollars, that reset the quarterback market essentially. So these uh, second tier, third tier, fourth tier quarterbacks, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, Daniel Jones, they're going to get paid no matter what, regardless, because that's just where uh, the market is right now for quarterbacks at that caliber versus on the other side with Saquon Barkley, market's not there for running backs whatsoever. Wouldn't you have been interested, though, if the Giants let Jones walk and then made a huge push to try to get um, you know a, uh, a Lamar Jackson deal done in, his, in a potential sign and trade? Yeah, I would have been very interested in that. I, I there's a lot of ties right there um, between Lamar Jackson and the giant, the people who are running the Giants. So uh, I would definitely think that that could have been a, in play. But I think that they wanted to stay loyal in the off season. The front office for New York said that they were committed to paying Daniel Jones, and they were loyal, and they did that. So it says something about this front office with New York. They're not as cutthroat as maybe other franchises are. Yep, absolutely. And by the way, even though Barkley has been franchised, he could still sign a deal with the Giants. You right. know, he can he can change his mind. Apparently, the Giants had a deal on the table in the $13 million range, and he passed that up. So I found that also kind of interesting. I mean... Giants wanted him back, had something in play for him, and uh, for whatever reason, turned it down. Maybe he wanted Christian McCaffrey money. That could be right. It. And McCaffrey is that uh, exception right now, making twelve million with San Francisco. But you just look across the league. I mean, it's not like running backs make a lot of money. If you're making over ten million, that's probably where you want to make right now in the NFL. Is he a better running back than Dalvin Cook? Probably not. Better than McCaffrey? Probably not. Is he better than Zeke? That's maybe. So maybe it's kind of right around the Zeke money. I would take Saquon Barkley over Dalvin Cook right now. 
Interesting. I would. Yeah. I would. Younger and, hey, the better days are ahead of him for Saquon Barkley versus Dalvin Cook. He might be toward the end of his running back lifespan. Dalvin Cook was banged up last year. Saquon ran for 1,600 yards, and he's already recovered from the injury. So, I mean, to me, Saquon's on the way up. Cook is kind of on the way down. So, yeah, I would take Saquon Barkley over Dalvin Cook, personally. Yeah, age is a factor there as well. I mean, Dalvin Cook, you're talking about uh, a 27-year-old. What is what is Saquon? I mean, is his mid-20s, 25? 25, 26. So he's, yeah. a couple, he's a year or two younger. Right. But I would still know, take still. Saquon. Yeah, I, me, I'm with you. Me too. All right, hour one coming to an end here on the show as Sports Talk continues. Uh, when we come back, Eric Allen will be back. He'll recap a huge week in live racing that we just finished off with, with the Mind That Bird Derby, and talk a little bit about that with us on Track Talk. Then Kevin Baker will join us live at 520 to preview his UTEP women's team as uh, they get that four seed. They're already slotted in to go up against La Tech. They win that, potentially a third matchup with Middle Tennessee for a chance to go win Conference USA. So a lot on the line for the UTEP women, not to mention Kevin Baker one win away from his first 20-win season as Miners head basketball coach. We'll do all that coming up, 600 ESPN El Paso. Welcome back to another week of Track Talk here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Steve Kaplowitz, and as always, joined by this man. He is the voice of Sunla Park Racetrack and Casino, Eric Alwyn. Uh, last week, Eric, uh, Dustin Dix, pinch hit for you. You were uh, dealing with some laryngitis, which anybody in our business knows is never. That, that's like the one thing. Say, okay, you break a bone, ah, just wear a cast. You can, be, you can show up to work and be fine. But when it's the voice, that's when uh, we, we take things a little more serious, don't we? And you shove 13 races down my throat. Yep. That's, that's right. a killer, Cappy. That's right. It's a killer, Cappy. But all I can say is God bless modern science and antibiotics. That I, I got on antibiotics last Thursday and I was feeling better by Saturday. Fantastic. So, oh, and by the way, speaking of God bless, God bless Todd Fincher. What a day last Tuesday was for Todd. Now, remember, because of the weather and the winds, we had to uh, run all four of those big stakes races that were originally scheduled for uh, February 26th last Tuesday. And Todd loaded up. And uh, he didn't just win one or two of those four. How about winning all four races? Once again, shows you uh, what uh, you know he has turned into as one of the top trainers in the country. Just uh, an amazing performance. It's Todd Fincher's world here. We're just living in it. Mm -hmm. There were thirteen races in all on that you know revamp Tuesday card, and he won six of them. He sweeps all four stakes. And in my memory, on my watch here at Sullen, which spans 50 years, um, I never seen anybody do that, you know? And um, of course he had such depth. In many of the races he had two, three horses, but Flying Connection, the winner of the Island Fashion is a bona fide major league filly, gonna be heard from in the Oaks. 
the breed race, the Red Heathen Mile. It was wrong. It was won by the wrong horse. I mean, it was it was my weight on top of Steel the Trap that probably got him beat because he ran a heroic race. Stumbles at the start, had to weave his way through traffic, did all the pressing of the pace, opens up four at the top of stretch and. Got a little weary and got gunned down by another Todd Fincher horse and through the storm. Then we saw the Mind That Bird Derby. Wasn't much of a field. Now, let me preface that. Yeah. I think it was one of the weakest Mind That Bird Derbies we've ever had. However, Henry Q won by 14, 15 lengths. And he stamps his ticket as a, you know, a major league. Well, not a major league, but at least a huge threat for the Sunland Derby. Mm -hmm. And uh, that one's trained by Todd Fincher. And then Todd won the last one, the, the Albert and Henry Dominguez with uh, cheese tray. But I mean, he, he is now so far ahead in the standing, Steve. His horses have earned a million three already, and we still have the biggest races to come. I mean, unless some juggernaut comes in from the east or west coast, Todd's going to win himself another uh, Summon Derby. Yep. And, he, and he might sweep all the stakes races that we have on March 26th possible listen i am rooting for that man to have a horse in the kentucky derby i just am because yeah. you realize how good he is here and you know take for example um you know henry q that's not a new mexico horse that is a southern california horse but they they trusted todd with henry q and you you prefaced it by saying field was weak but still, you gotta win, and when you win by fourteen lengths, that's a that's that's a massive yeah. you know, that's a massive statement. Got to win about a second of the track record, mm -hmm. won easily, and you know when you talk about Todd's exploits, uh, rarely, and I do want to underscore rarely, do we see a graded stakes winner come into Sunland. But we did with one of Todd's horses in Senor Buscador just a couple of days ago in in the Curabo and. He's a great free winner at Churchill Downs. So Todd's knocking on the door, Cappy. Yeah. I mean, he, yes, he definitely deserves an int an entrant in the Kentucky Derby. And, uh, you know, and by the way, that's not the only horse from, well, not going to be the only human connection that could be in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, one of Todd's owners, uh, Leslie and Pierre Amstoy, long time, successful owners in the state, they have a horse that's going to be in the Kentucky Derby. Also owned by Roger Beasley, a good friend of mine, who owns a ton of Mazda dealerships in Texas. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there could be two connections there. Wow. So his name is Practical Move. Won the San Felipe at Santa Anita a few days ago. Won the Los Alamitos Thoroughbred Futurity. So it's a big year for New Mexico, even though you wouldn't think that we'd have much of a shot. But we've got... Uh, you know, a number of connections going out there in the first Saturday in May. And Todd trains that horse as well? No. No. Not yet. Tim Yakteen does. I guess the horse has been primarily based in California. Mm -hmm. And he's been there for all this time. But, uh, uh, wow, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Uh, the Amistoy Zone through the storm. That's the horse that edged out Steal the Trap in the Red Heat of the Miles. So they've meant a lot to us in New Mexico racing and, um, uh, no, we, we're really very thankful for the Amistad. They're from Albuquerque. All I know is this. Um, you know, the conditions to race last Tuesday for the big ones, much more ideal than oh, what we yeah. had uh, last Sunday. It was really bad on Sunday, Steve. 
It was like a bad dream that just would not end. We went through a couple of races and, uh, you know, it was so windy, Steve, that there was no benefit in going to the front because when you've got horses that have speed and they're going through that backstretch with 80 miles an hour of pressure in their face, they wilt in the stretch. So it was just, a, it was the right move all the way. Dustin A. Dix, uh, you know, wonderful decision. He takes such good care of the racing product here. He thought about it for about an hour and a half and, you know, discussed it, I think with a few horsemen and said, let's just wheel these four stakes races back because mm -hmm. we got to have them. They're integral to what we do on Southern Derby Day. You know, you got to have them. You got to have those preps. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you. Based on the Riley Allison and now the Mind That Bird Derby, um, you know, things are kind of setting up to be a, an interesting Sunland Derby because those two races have not been loaded with, um, you know, some of the top three-year-olds. So you kind of wonder now, since we saw this impressive performance, um, you know, back last Tuesday, what will that field be like? I guess we don't really know for sure yet because Sunland Derby is still weeks away and the deadline to nominate is, is, is still uh, far away. Very, very murky, Steve. Mm -hmm. And the winner of the Rally Allison Derby, one in Vermillion, got sick, got a virus. So forget about that one. Yeah. And the one that was second to him in the trial, I mean, in the Rally Allison, uh, he scratched out of the Mind That Bird Derby. So I, I kind of think it's going to be a field loaded with shippers. You know, But I guess we can't say that Henry Q is going to be a shipper anymore because he's just going to stay here. That could give him a decided edge. You know, he doesn't have to go back on a plane or a van back to L.A. and then come back again. He's just going to hang out here. And, uh, you know, they love it. It was nice to see Edwin Maldonado here at, at uh, Sunland. He's a world-class rider. He rides a lot at uh, Santa Anita. And he was aboard Henry Q. Uh, the horse is so well-bred. I mean, he's by blame out of a Malibu moon mare. They can go all day. They've got the stamina in them. Um, what kind of buyer figure did Henry Q get for that big win? Uh, uh, for the mind I'm the curious. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have privy to that yet. We'll see when I, you know, when, when they run again, I would guess a 90. Mm -hmm. That's what I was going to say. 89, 90, 91. I mean, he won by such an expansive margin yeah. that that, that stamps him as a, you know, a legit contender, two wins in a row. We're talking to Eric Alwyn here on Track Talk as we continue uh, this uh, week. Let's talk about what happened uh, this past weekend. KJ Daddy's Money, the $100,000 Sunburst Stakes. It was the 13th running, grade three for New Mexico bred three-year-old fillies. And KJ Daddy's Money, hey, uh, this goes to show you, if a horse hasn't raced in a while, they can still come back and win a big one, can't they? Most especially... In the quarter horse ranks, I give a lot more latitude in that regard with quarter horses. It's okay if it's six, seven, eight months. It's it's super okay when your trainer's watch Giles because he knows exactly what he's doing and points to the right races. You don't need a prep. Uh, that filly happened to be the winner of the Zia Futurity at Redosa Downs last summer. So she had already, she had already stamped herself as a you know a, a legitimate threat to win the race and went off as the two to one favorite, even though. Field was loaded. The shoe fly winner was in that one. My heart just runs for JJ Gonzalez and a number of other horses. Woody Queen was in that one and Wahini. 
But uh, KJ's daddy's money really was not in contention until the last hundred yards and came flying on the outside rail to win it, I think, by about a head or a neck. It's a fine performance. And again, you've got the West Giles, Adrian Ramos connections. That's the All-American futurity winning connections of uh, KJ Desperado and KJ Daddy's money is owned by those same owners. Kathy and John Lee and Ruben Mayers, they have had, since the COVID epidemic of 2020, one about every major quarter horse race you can imagine. Wow. It's amazing. Tell me about what happened the following day. Karina Karina winning the Pepper's Pride handicap and then Senor Buscador uh, winning the Curabo handicap as mm-hmm. you talked about. And how about getting the name Ken Towhill back to the winner's circle in a major stakes race? That's a that's a good feel-good story for anybody that's been following horse racing over the years at Sunland. He's about 62 years old. Can you imagine that? And I watch him really closely. He still looks better on a horse than just about anybody. I mean, he has not lost a step or, you know, not having to use his feet, but he's got to steer him. But he stays so low in the saddle, still at the top of his game. And he gave Corinna Corinna, I mean, the absolute ultra patient ride that she kind of needs because sometimes Corinna Corinna makes this huge eye-opening move and then kind of hangs in the stretch and sometimes can get caught. But Ken calculated how much to exert from her to get her on the lead at the top of the stretch and won, I think he won by, you know, about a measured half length over Bye Bye Brandy, who is a Todd Venture horse. So, so rare that Todd gets beaten in stakes races. Uh, but Corinna Corinna is one of my favorite horses to call of the last five years because she may not win every time. Man, Kathy, she tries hard. I mean, super hard and makes these fantastic moves can beat the boys in the stakes races. Her bugaboo was that she had trouble with her own gender. She finished second a lot by a nose. As a matter of fact, she uh, avenged a prior defeat to Our Time to Shine, who nailed her at Zia Park in the last jump. And on Sunday, she beat Our Time to Shine, who was closing. It was a good race for Bye Bye Brandy, who tried to go all the way, but Corinna Corinna nailed her, nailed her on the money. And I think it was due to Ken Tohill. The other race, the Curabo, by far the most spectacular thoroughbred performance that I've seen this season. Senor Buscador, I mean, he could go to any track in the country and win. The way he put away that field, he made, you know, Goddard and Sheriff Brown look ordinary. And they are both terrific horses in the Todd Fincher barn. Beat a good upstart long shot in Limonite. And more than that, he went off one to nine. One to nine, Steve. That, that's not, no, that don't happen. That don't happen because you're dealing with horses that have made millions of dollars. Yeah. And the betting public was so sharp and dead on. I think somebody put, was it you? Did you put 10 grand on Senior Buscador? It was, wasn't it? <laughs> well, it wasn't me. <laughs> but he was so fluid in the way he finished. We'll be lucky if we can get him to run in the Sullivan Park Handicap. I think he's going to go on to bigger and better things, of course. He already has. Yeah. But if we can get him one more time, that would be extra special. Eric, a lot of trials this week. And on Sunday, we've got the 17th running of the Mount Cristo Ray Handicap. Interestingly enough, it's only a five and one half furlong race. So a little shorter than uh, some of the other major stakes races we have for thoroughbreds. You know what the headline to that race is? Hopefully, fingers crossed, 
Belladonna returns, our cover girl, our program centerfold, you know, at Sullen. She's on all of our condition books. She scratched the other day, you know, for to her stable mate in a race. She didn't run on opening weekend. So we're hoping that, you know, she's all right. This is a much, much tougher test than those others were because she was just going to have to face Phillies. But we are allowed to run on Lasix now. That was reversed. You know, most of the season, you couldn't have Lasix in the stakes races. So maybe that had something to do with her not running. But uh, she's facing the boys in the Mount Crystal Ray. Can she win it? Of course, because she's that fast and that good. But if that's the storyline of that race. A full field of 12, uh, one girl in the race, and that's Belladonna, a three-quarter million dollar stakes champion going against the likes of Lonzo, who, no, no Passanata, Massive Roar, uh, Hollywood Henry, some fast horses. But it'll be really exciting to see her go up against the boys. Looking forward to it. Uh, wow. Another quick week flying by here on Track Talk. Eric, always appreciate the time. Thanks for uh, joining us. We'll talk Thank to you again you. next week. For sure. Eric Alwyn, folks, as we continue here on Sports Talk. We'll come back with more right after Charlie won. He's got a traffic update. Stay with us right here, 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here on Sports Talk, 20 past as we continue. My thanks again to Eric Alwyn for our weekly track talk discussion. Right now, I want to head over to Frisco. They just finished practicing a little while ago, getting ready to eat, uh, and we're very happy to have UTEP women uh, head basketball coach Kevin Baker join us for a few here on uh, our 600 ESPN El Paso hotline as the Miners get ready for a Thursday morning battle. Breakfast with the Miners against Louisiana Tech in that 4-5 matchup in the quarterfinals. Coach, welcome back to the show, and uh, thanks so much for taking a little time and joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. I always like to talk a little women's basketball with you. As well you should. It's been a great season for you and the Miners. You finished as a fourth seed. You nearly got the three seed. Had things worked out a little different against Middle Tennessee, but you were right there. And it seems like you've got this team playing good basketball, heading into the tournament, despite uh, being able to uh, not finish those those last two games off on the road, Coach. Yeah, I love the way this team is playing. And the last ten games of the season – We've been playing some of the best basketball of the year. And it seems like we're playing the best basketball of the year at the right time. Uh, March Madness is here. Our team is uh, playing well. And even though we dropped the last two, we were in position to win both games on the road. Um, Couldn't have been proud of our team as we fought and fought and put ourselves in position to win. And especially against Middle Tennessee, at Middle Tennessee, where nobody can seem to get a win there. Not even the Louisville Cardinals could win there. But the Miners took it to overtime. We almost stole one from them. Uh, But, hey, all in all, last 10 games, I love the way we're playing. Hey, you had the ball tied with seven seconds left in regulation. That's about all you can ask for as a head coach, right? (laughs) It was, and and Nia made a great play and a great shot. And when it left her hand, uh, I remember thinking, we're going to beat them again the same way we beat them last time, a three at the buzzer. We're going to do it again, and it rimmed out this time, and it didn't go in. Uh, but it sure looked good. I, I thought we, we were going to, you know, if that ball goes in, we've won three in a row against Middle Tennessee. And it didn't go in, so we need to start a new streak. Meanwhile, uh, a lot of awards handed out today for your team, including you receiving Co-Coach of the Year. You mentioned Jazzy on Jackson. She was named first team. 
Uh, Alina Arike, what uh, a bunch of honors she received. Second team, defensive player of the year, and on the all-defensive team. I can't remember. It's been a while since we've seen uh, the this many uh, awards go to uh, UTEP women's basketball. Yeah, you know, and we've had some players in the past that are good enough to win those awards, and, and for whatever reason, they didn't. So I'm really pleased. I'm so proud of them for, for being recognized, for uh, you know, it, it's more of a testament of what our whole team has done because if if we're not playing well as a team, it wouldn't matter how good Alina's defense was and it wouldn't matter how well Jazz is playing if our team wasn't playing well and, and in good position. So, you know, I'm, I'm proud of our team as a whole because that allowed to put a little bit of a lime a limelight on two players that are having a terrific year. Jazion is, is really having an MVP-type season. Um, she's, I think she's probably one of the best players in the conference. And we don't ask her to score 30 points a game, so she's not ever going to win MVP. But we'll take first team all conference. She deserves it. And out of all the great things that Alina Arike does for our team, to see that people voted for her for her defense is uh, pretty impressive that they have noticed what she's able to do on that end of the floor. Coach, uh, specifically with Alina, I, I, this is a really interesting historical mark in itself. She's the first player in history having won the Defensive Player of the Year Award in Conference USA. Uh, how interesting is that to know? And also, uh, she uh, she's kind of a two-way player for you because she could score for you and, and also rebound uh, with, with uh, what she does on the defensive side. It's sort of it's sort of a, you know, a weird thing with her. If she plays well and scores, you know, 17, 16 points a game and does what she does on the defensive end every game, we usually win. I mean, it seems to be the formula. If she plays well, we play well. And, you know, I think um, she's been, she has been playing some absolutely quality basketball since Conference USA started uh, this season in uh, early December. She's just been playing well, and she's, in, she's impressed a lot of people. And it's so cool to see the – the Conference USA coaches recognize her. Um, she is a two-way player. She can score the basketball. But the fact that she's a 6'3 post player that can get out there and guard somebody's point guard, I think that got a lot of teams' attention. And uh, she can do that. She is multi-talented. Uh, I really think this is going to vault her up next year into player of the year status. I hope that it does. She deserves that. She's gonna. She's had a great year this year. But, you know, she's got a lot of great years ahead of her. How about for you, Coach? I know uh, you talk a lot about your players. You don't really want to, you know, talk about yourself, and I totally get that. But uh, being named Co-Coach of the Year, it's a, it's a pretty big honor. And when you start to really look at, you know, what that means to you, uh, let's talk about that too. Well, you know, you're right. I, I don't like to, to focus on me, but I will say two things about it. One is, there's no better award in the world than is voted on by your peers. And when when your fellow coaches vote for you, that that really, really means a lot. It, it's, uh, it's special to me. I have a lot of respect for the coaches in our conference and, and the fact that they show that respect back towards me. Uh, that, that just means the world to me. It, it really, really does. And, um, you know, I, I'm a coach from every level, 3A, 4A, 5A, 6A, Division three, Division two, Division one, and anytime you win an award like this, it just means that your your peers respect what you do, and that means a lot to me. And then, of course, the second thing I'll say about it, and I joke about this a lot, but there's some truth to it. 
I've, I've never seen someone win coach of the year who had a lousy team. So, you know, it's one of those things where we, we have a great team. They, they play very, very well together. They're extremely intelligent. And fact of the matter is they make me look really good. So <laughs> I'll take it. I appreciate it. Um, but, you know, good teams are what, what make that award happen. Let's talk about your draw. Kevin Baker with us here on Sports Talk as we talk a little UTEP women's basketball. You get La Tech here uh, Thursday morning. We'll have the game, 10-25. Our coverage starts. John Teicher, Steve Yellen will broadcast it, 10-30 tip-off from uh, the star in Frisco. How much of a benefit is it to know that you don't have to game plan for two teams playing on Wednesday. And although LaTeX has the same exact uh, advantage that you do, you can at least put together the game plan all week knowing exactly who your opponent is. Yeah, that is a very, very unique thing. I mean, talk about things that never happen in a conference tournament where you get three days to prepare for an opponent. It just doesn't happen. So, um, that is definitely an advantage. I like our draw. I like our draw a lot. We've we've beaten everybody on our side. So I mean, it's it's one of those things where it gives a little bit of confidence going forward. The only thing is, you know, it, it's never going to be easy. We beat Louisiana Tech. We swept them, and it sounds great, but that was back in December, and they're a lot better team now. They, other than us, uh, Louisiana Tech is probably the hottest team in the conference right now. And so it's going to be a great game. I, I really look for that game to go down to the wire. I think it'll come down to the last five minutes of the game, and whoever's playing the best at that point is going to win it. And if we're fortunate enough to move on, uh, we will probably get another shot at Middle Tennessee. So our team is really excited about our draw. Um, it's, it's never There's never going to be an easy path, and who would want one? But uh, if I were drawing it up, I don't think I would draw it up much differently. Uh, Coach, you talk about this squad that you have with with UTEP, and some might look at the team and say, oh, well, eight newcomers. There's probably a lot of unfamiliarity when it comes to the conference tournament. But when you look a little deeper, you understand Jazzy and Jackson understands what this conference tournament's like. Uh, You have experience among your starters who have experienced this tournament. How do you kind of have that balance of showing the newcomers what the CUSA tournament really is like and then balance it out with the return? Maybe they're not maybe uh, not playing with you, but having gone and played at the Star in Frisco. You know, I, I always wondered how that would go. You know, I always wondered how that experience would help us. And I wasn't sure, and I was thinking maybe I was going to have to wait for the conference tournament to figure it out. But I learned a lot about our team today in practice. They were um, extraordinarily focused. They were really, really into the game plan. Um, we did a great practice. We, we really did. And it showed me that our players, like you're saying, uh, they've been there. They've done that. They, they know about the conference tournament. They know how important it is. They, they know, um, you know, you work all – it's funny, you work two months for a seed in a tournament. You know, I think our players have figured out how important that is. I haven't talked a whole lot about it. The only thing that I said today in practice at the end was, you know, it's funny that – the teams that are the most excited about playing in March are usually the ones that, that play the best. And I'm hoping that our team is excited about playing on Thursday morning. I think they are. And a lot of it becomes a, is because of the experience that you talked about. You've won 19 games uh, with that, you know, that, that next win being number 20. 
Do you feel like this team still has another gear that we haven't yet seen? I, I do, but the, but the reason why I see that is because, I mean, we're two or three points away a game of, of this team being almost a 25-game winner. I know, I know that sounds strange to say, but there have been so many games this year that, you know, maybe the ball didn't bounce right or, or maybe, you know, something happened strange at the end and, you know, whatever. But this team could easily be a 24 or 25 win team going into the conference tournament. And now you're looking at it completely differently. And they are a talented bunch. Uh, I learned early on not to sell this team short. They have the talent to win the, the conference. They have the talent to do some damage in the NCAA tournament. I think they can. Um, I think we have the chance to do it. If there was ever a team that could win the conference tournament, I think this team can do it. You play 29 games this season, and of the 29 regular season games, 21 of them have been decided <laughs> by single digits. Yeah. That ties a program record. It's it's almost like you're 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 the cardiac kids. Yeah, yeah, it, it really does feel that way. Every game, you know. People ask me why I don't call timeouts in the first half, and it's because I just know that every game is going to go down to the wire, and I've got to hold on to these timeouts. And it is it has really, really been a strange year in terms of all of these games just being barn burners right to the end. And but but I think it's good for basketball, and I think a lot of the reason why we're having such close games is because our conference is the best it's been, at least in my tenure at UTEP. This is the best the conference has been top to bottom, and it's caused a lot of close, really tough games. As a coach, I love it. I, I love that. And, um, you know, we've had some close ones. We could have gone either way, but I'm proud of the ones that we were able to pull out. Coach, we want to see another one uh, starting Thursday morning and then heading into Friday and then potentially Saturday. It'd be awesome to see you cut down the nets, and uh, we wish you nothing but the best and appreciate the time and having you join us on the show today. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate all the support. You guys are awesome, and hey, go Miners. There you go. Kevin Baker, folks, will follow the Miners live here. 600 ESPN El Paso coming up uh, on uh, Thursday morning, 1025 a.m. John Teicher, Steve Yellen will have it. UTEP and La Tech in the 4-5 quarterfinal matchup of the CUSA Championships. More in a moment, but first, let's get right back to Adrian. Standing by, bottom of the hour, Sports Center update is next program and again our thanks to a kevin baker i should have asked about his twenty thousand dollar uh incentives and what he's going to do with the money yeah since uh, he did uh, get the co uh coach of the year honors uh, you put that up on twitter about a half an hour ago but uh, that's that's also part uh, of the nice thing about this team is that he can continue to cash in on all those incentives yeah right. i was looking at his uh contract extension that he signed back in 2021 in august and uh one of the interesting notes out of this one is if kevin baker earns conference usa coach of the year honors he gets one month annual base salary which uh you know you do the math $249,000 in annual base salary divided by 12 that's a $20,000 bonus right there that Coach Baker earned. If the team qualifies and uh, makes an NIT appearance, mm. it's five grand, and every win after that is five grand on top. Wow. All right. That's a big deal. That's a lot of money that when you, th- when you start to add it up, start to hit all those bonuses, next thing you know, you're cashing in. 
That's right. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at it. If you go three rounds deep in the NIT, I think it's like 15000 on top. So really? that's a lot of money right there in incentives. It is. It really is. And by the way, I mean, we love to see UTEP get to the WNCAs, but at the same time, we could also see them hosting WNIT games because the track record has shown they do so well when they host those games in the past. Right, and this is a 19-win season. This is a team that uh, really turned things around. I didn't think they could do it, Steve. I'll be honest with you. Before the season started, knowing what we saw after last year's team uh, had a losing record, 14-15 and 15 is how last year's disappointing year finished. This year, complete turnaround, 19 wins this season, and it's eight newcomers to go along with all of it. Well, what they did was they used the transfer portal to their advantage. Uh, the guy, I mean, listen, and it's no disrespect to the players that were on that 14 and 15 team, but they traded up and got better spot and got better players. They just did. They got, they got players, um, you know, listen, uh, when you talk about, um, you know, what UTEP has had the last few years, it you know it's it's difficult because uh, they had a local point guard who was the face of the franchise, face of the team, face of the program, and she left, went to Tulsa in the portal, and and she's playing ten to fifteen minutes a game right now if she's lucky, coming off the bench and not doing much, and they replaced her with Jazzy on Jackson, and you start to think about that. That's the deal. What would you mean? I loved Katia Gallegos. I thought she had a chance to finish as one of the all-time great players in the program. But last year, she had the worst year since she arrived at UTEP. Wanted to leave, left. Now she's a uh, you know a ten to fifteen minute player uh, on on a good Tulsa team, and they replaced her with a first team All Conference selection. So you know it just goes to show you uh, sometimes you can use the portal to your advantage and that's exactly what UTEP did there right and I would also say they swallowed their pride on some others like they could have gone out and got a forward out of the JUCO ranks instead they swallowed their pride and welcome back Sabina Lipe yep and I think you know you you get those smaller pieces to to round out your rotation you're right the focal point is Katia Gallegos and everything you said is is 100% right with that Tulsa role that she has or really doesn't have right now uh, but not having Katia Gallegos be the focal point has allowed other players um, the ability and opportunity opportunity to step up on this team there's really there's I'm not saying she had an ego I'm just saying maybe previous teams had an ego but there's absolutely no ego on this current women's basketball team and like Zay has mentioned previous times it's always the what if with this current uh, women's basketball team how good they could have been had they had their full roster intact we're talking about this roster and this team right now and they're still not even at full strength players clash that's just what happens by the way in case you're wondering Katya has played 20 games this year for Tulsa. 20 games. She's averaging 15 minutes a game, 2.3 points, 1.9 rebounds, 1.7 assists per game. All career lows right there. Absolutely right. And by the way, she's shooting 10% from three-point land. 10% from three-point land. It just goes to show you. Sometimes be careful what you wish for, because when you get out and you go someplace else, the grass is not always greener 
than where it was before. Yeah, I feel bad because uh, Katya was uh, such a nice person, you know, on and off the floor. Uh, and I would also say with her, you know, we everybody can say what they want about her time here at UTEP and what she's not really doing at Tulsa. There are other examples of players accomplishing things when they've transferred. I mean, look at Destiny Thurman right now. She was named Mountain West Newcomer of the Year mm-hmm. for Colorado State, so she's shined. But some thought that Katya Gallegos would storm out out of the gates with Tulsa and just hasn't been the case. I did. I mean, I really did. As a sophomore, she averaged almost 14 points a game, five assists, four and a half rebounds. She was on the verge of becoming a star. She was shooting 44% from the field, um, you know, 33% from downtown. She was always a good free throw shooter. To see the numbers this year and to see, first off, she doesn't shoot very much at all. So the numbers are misleading. They really are. She's, she's only attempting an average of three shots a game. That's nothing. But, um, you know, she's, she just doesn't have a role on this Tulsa team. And she was the face of this UTEP program. Right. So it's, it's tough. But, but, uh, but the point there is, is that somebody like Katya, who we all thought was going to go down as the next great El Paso star at UTEP, goes in the portal, they get Jazzy on Jackson, and they absolutely hit a home run. Hit a home run. No other way to put it. And Jazzy on Jackson didn't know what kind of fit UTEP would be. She just wanted her opportunity where she'd get a little bit more playing time. In fact, it seemed like she just wanted kind of to get revenge at her own t- old team in North Texas. Well, she does. She doesn't only uh, beat North Texas on the floor and what she was able to do this season, but she's also able to earn all first team honors. I mean, Katia Gallegos, just to put it in perspective, she was an all conference USA player in each of the three years she was here at UTEP, but Jazzy. Zion Jackson does it in her first year and just shows you the opportunity she took advantage of here at UTEP. Yes, she did. Absolutely did. And the best part about it is she comes back next year. So they get Jackson one more season. Right. Yeah, and they're, and uh, like uh, Kevin Baker alluded to earlier, uh, you also get another season out of Alina Arike. So you could have a lot of returners next year not have to worry about eight newcomers to, to round out your roster. They could also get Avery Krause if she wants to come back for another year. Point is, this nucleus is so good that they could easily come all back and, uh, and, and just steam through CUSA next season. And it seemed like their nucleus was intact. I mean, con- we, I just mentioned continuity, but having Avery Krause as that veteran leader on this team does mm-hmm. so much for them. Absolutely, it does. Hey, 43 past as Sports Talk continues. We'll round out hour number two when we come back. We'll finish it off and get you ready for our third and final hour. Locomotive FC getting ready to start their 2023 campaign. General Manager Andrew Forrest will be with us. We'll talk about it as we continue. 600 ESPN El Paso. Talk as we continue. About to uh, say hello to Andrew Forrest, the general manager of El Paso Locomotive FC. In fact, Andrew could probably host the show for me. We've talked about every sport but Locomotive FC during the break because you're a sports fan. You follow everything. Keep up with all that, all the New York teams. But, hey, your own club is getting ready to kick things off uh, here on Saturday night. Southwest University Park, does it shock you that it's already here? Season's uh, starting up? I'm actually glad that it's here because uh, all the work in the off season is, uh, is, is a bit, can be a bit backbreaking. We've had to do a lot, uh, hire another new head coach, uh, bring in some new players, all the things that go into an off season. So uh, I'm actually looking forward to Saturday night. It'll be the culmination of the last five months of work uh, since our season ended. 
Absolutely right. And, you know, you don't want to hire a new coach every season. You want to have a couple of years of, of, of the same person. But last season was kind of a unique situation, especially on and off the pitch. And, um, you know, when you look at what uh, Coach Hutch was able to do, um, you know, the hardest part, I guess, is trying to balance a family life when you're moving uh, thousands and thousands of miles uh, from uh, Australia over here to the U.S. Yeah, it's incomprehensible for most people, and myself included, to you know not having been to that part of the world. It's it's the complete other side of the world. It, they're twenty six hours or twenty four hours ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I moved here from Virginia, or I, from Virginia, moved from Tennessee, and that that's pretty far. You know, m- my family and and friends are mostly on the East Coast, so it's and that's a two hour time difference. You can barely imagine. 22 24 26 um and i think one thing that just needs to be you know to remind everyone is is last year was always going to happen in some format where we needed a you know we had a new coach a lot of players moved on um there there needed to be a reset we we had an older team and which was the right way to build this uh, in our opinion to come in and to have success early on um but we needed to get younger we need to continue to get younger we we've done that this year we've got our veterans that we value at a high level, but we've also uh, lowered our the rest of our median age is, is around 25. Um, if you if you use throw the the Yuma outlier out there, but uh, we're excited for what we've brought in. For we're excited for what we've brought back, and uh, we're excited to see the system that that Brian's implementing. And uh, I think it should continue to be exciting uh, times for for locomotive and locomotive fans. How's coach been for you? Give me a, like a little first impression of of how things have gone the last couple months. He's soft spoken when you have a conversation with him, but you, the intensity shines through immediately and then you see him on the field and and like most of these guys you know easy to talk to he's just a little quieter comes across a little quieter once you get to know him he's obviously opens up and and you know there's a good personality there but then you see him on the field and you know get get flashbacks to when I used to to run around a soccer field and how terrified I was of our coaching staff back then and uh, you can see that uh, this guy commands the field and and you know works hard to to get the best of our guys. All three that have been at this role uh, since the inception of this club are different on and off the pitch, different styles, different personalities, uh, different, uh, you know, just, just about as different as it gets, right? Yeah, I would say so. I think, you know, you look at the Mark was very well polished, you know, in the studio and in and, and, and interviews and, and dressed, dressed nicely um, with the suit jackets and the ties. And, uh, you know, but on the field was, was you know, acting one way and then you know John comes in and, and he's pretty pretty intense and fiery on the field as well but then like a big big lap you know a, a great Dane lap dog though but you know great personality super upbeat Brian's just a little bit more quiet um, and there's no right or wrong way no one's right no one's wrong that's just who these guys are and we're not looking to to change their personality we're just looking to win games Andrew what's it been like for you because during these coaching transitions they happen while you're having to sign players so a lot of the times you're actually working deals as GM and, and bringing players in on contracts while coaches are either involved in the search or they're just getting here inheriting a roster. So let's talk about that aspect of it and what it's been like for you, not just running the organization from a front office standpoint, but you know as well as uh, game management as well. It's certainly not something that, that I or anybody else in our organization wants to do, but there's, there's times where if we don't have leadership on the technical side, someone's got to make decisions because these guys are either going to sign with someone else or move on to a different league or various other things. And, and we have to make decisions and we make decisions with the best information that we have at the time, right? That's all, that's all we can ask is, you know, we look at the guy's performance, we look at their age, we look at what they're asking in terms of salary. And, and we try to give 
whoever comes in next to say these players can play in just about whatever system you want to put out there. Um, so we, we think we've done that. Um, you know, I think the players that we've brought back have been, and, and you know, John helped identify some that we signed, you know, that he identified. Um, so this time around, didn't have to do as much of that, but it's definitely something that was not contemplated when I came here f- almost five years ago, but it's something that, that needs to be done. And, and, you know, we work with uh, the rest of the executive staff to find the, try to make the best decisions we can. Do you feel though that you've really evolved as a, as a front office uh, exec in terms of bringing in players on contracts, scouting, looking for these right guys, especially these last two seasons during the transition period? Yeah, I, I've, this was not something when I came here, it was, it was purely business focused, but as the evolution of, of, of my career and, and just, out of necessity, really, uh, is to work closely with these coaches um, to try to identify. To you know, my job is to help keep them on the straight and narrow. You know, we've got budgets. We've got we can't have ten left left midfielders, and, and they know that. But we try to balance everything. and And I've learned a ton from from all three coaches, and and really trying to to take that and and just evolve and get better, and and so that that that's reflected in what we're trying to do. Here in, uh, with El Paso Locomotive, you know the, the the ultimate goal has not changed since the day the day I showed up here, and the day Mountain Star announced this team is, is to win a championship. and And we've been close. Uh, we want to be close again. We want to win this year. Um, it's certainly going to be difficult as as it always is. Uh, the league is getting better and better and better every year. But uh, I've learned a ton, and I'll, I'm you know I'm fortunate to be able to be in the position where uh, I've been empowered to to help guide these some of these decisions. Andrew Forrest with us as we continue here on uh, Sports Talk and, and discuss the uh, club here for the uh, 2023 season. In fact, um, I am looking at the roster right now of what you have, and uh, there are a lot of familiar names. Chapa, Yuma, Aaron Gomez, uh, uh, Lucho is back as well. you got Ricardo Zacharias. I mean, Eric Calvillo comes back uh, and... You know, you just look down the list. Uh, yeah, there are definitely players that we recognize. Ed Borelli is also back. We, you know, we talked about that. But yeah, and Nick Hines. But you've got new players too. A lot of newcomers. So you blend in the returnees with the with the new players, and you just hope you have that perfect mix, right? Yeah, that's always everybody's goal in sports, right? And and I've been to quite a few training sessions and, and talk obviously a lot with Brian, and and you can see that the camaraderie is is it's it appears to be different this year. Um, there, there's, you know, we moved on or some of the older players, uh, more established players like like Foxy and, and Richie. They, they've moved on to different things, uh, Dylan Maris, and that's fine. That's OK. But that's that's also left a void for others to step up and become leaders. And, and we're starting to see some more of that uh, bigger voices out of guys like Liam Rose. Eric Cavillo has stepped up in a big way. And that pairing, I think, is going to be. Uh, if, if preseason's any indication, that is that's going to be a, a very interesting and very powerful midfield combination. Those two seem to work really well together. Uh, they complement each other. So really excited to see that uh, Saturday night uh, come to fruition and hopefully uh, you know, be get some, some goals that, uh, that, they, that will start with them. Yeah, that's, that's, that's for sure because you need those finishers. Um, what about uh, – and, and tell me a little bit about Benny Diaz and Javier Garcia, your goalkeepers this season. Yeah, this, the, these are two that we're really excited about. Javier Garcia has – they both have experience in this league, um, both – Javier with with RGV and, and he would would start at, at various different points when when Tyler Derrick would was injured over the last couple of years uh, and Benny Diaz is extremely exciting um, he's on loan from Tijuana Cholos and he played with Oakland 
I think six to eight games last year was their starter before he was recalled. He was on loan with the Oakland Roots and, and did really well. And again, these are young guys. I think they're both 24, 25, extremely good with their feet, um, completely bilingual. So you know, there'll be, a, I think, a better cohesion with the, with the back line in the midfield because there's a lot of different languages uh, floating around out there, a lot of Eastern European languages uh, more so than ever. But I think these guys are going to are gonna be able to, to command the box, be athletic, and, and be really good with, with their feet as they're both young, Big, strong, and uh, and again, the the game that we're trying to play, the feet are so important. The hands are important, but the way they can connect the ball from side to side and, and be an outlet for Yuma is going to be massive. You alluded to um, you know how some of the uh, forwards are going to play based on what we've seen so far in the preseason. You tell me. I know it started out ugly. You see the scores, and all of a sudden you, you're a little concerned. Hey, it's ironing out a lot of things with a new group and a lot of new personnel and a new coach. Did you start to see this team really progress over the last few uh, tune-ups as we get ready for Saturday night? Yeah, it's it's probably cliche to to have the listeners hear this, but it couldn't be more true. What I wanted to see and what Brian wanted to see through preseason was no injuries, which we've been pretty lucky with that so far, and to see progression. I don't actually care that we lose 5 nothing to Austin. It's do we walk out of there better than we walked in in terms of our play, our familiarity, our way to, to keep the ball, to, to enforce our, our, our style on them at certain times. I was uh, at the RSL game in, in Tucson. We gave up three own goals. That's just bad luck and maybe a little bit of bad positioning and maybe a little bit of lack of fitness, but that was four or five weeks ago. We're, we're looking fit. We look good. We've got senior leadership from Borelli, from Yuma, from Lucho, for guys that have been here and been around for a long time, and we've got young legs that are ready to run. Choppa's back. We've got... Uh, and this is, this is something else that I think fans should know. We have three players that are in their fifth year with us. That's almost unheard of in this league. Um, that's Choppa... That's uh, Aaron Gomez, and that's Yuma. And, and I think that continuity and that standard that, that you, ultimately starts and ends with Yuma, the young players pick up on that. And, and you know one day, I don't know when, maybe 10 years when Yuma does decide to retire, these other guys, if they're still here, they will, they will remember that, and they'll be the next leaders. They'll be the next Yuma. And that's, that's a great thing to have with, with the continuity with such a great veteran like Yuma. And you see Chapa starting to take leadership. You see... Um, as I mentioned, Cavio really start to have a voice, and, and that's going to be important because you know, inevitably Yuma won't be here forever. He's 37, 38 years old, so we, we need that next group of guys to step up and take his place. Is Gomez still on loan from FC Juarez? Because if that's the case, that's the longest <laughs> loan in the history of professional soccer. No, I think he came off loan in year three. Uh, year one and two he was on loan, but then I believe we signed him outright year three, if, if memory serves. But he he is a, a true locomotive player. I, I can say that now. Yeah, that's okay. That's good to know. And by the way, this also shows you the relationships you have. and makes a lot of sense. Mountain Star uh, does own FC Juarez, just like El Paso Locomotive FC. And if there are players that maybe aren't getting the kind of exposure over there that could make the jump and do well here, um, you know, both uh, Borelli, Gomez, um, we've seen it over the years. There's Carrillo. Been, yep, Carrillo, exactly. There, there's been great examples of that uh, here over the course of time. Yeah, we've had three guys come from FC Juarez. Eron on loan for about a year and a half, and then uh, Borelli and Carrillo came over, and, and all three of those players were impactful. They're starters. They have unbelievable highlights. They, they live in the history books of this club, um, and they always will. And uh, we we been speaking with Juarez. We, we talk to Juarez all the time about how do, how do we work together in business? How do we sh- uh, share information? How do we share scouting? How do we share players? If there's players there that they want to develop, this is a great place to come do that. If you know we have something that they like, 
you know, we, we like to have those conversations. So we're really got, starting to, to continue to broaden our interactions and, and conversations with FC Juarez on a variety, both the technical and the business side. And it's, it's fantastic because they have a ton to offer us uh, playing Liga Emekis. It's what, it's a, for me, it's a, it's a top 10, 12 league in the world. And they don't even have a developmental squad, do they? I mean, really, this is probably the best place for them to get the kind of competition level that they're going to see and hope to develop some of these players that will get a much bigger opportunity here than, than they might over there right now. Yeah, I think, that, I think their academy might max out around the U19s, U20s, so there, there's a big jump from from a U19 U20 player to Liga MX starter. Mm-hmm. That that's a that's a massive jump, and we we fill a nice void in there. So we'll we'll continue to see what happens, uh, how does our season and their season progress. But I wouldn't be shocked if uh, if if that relationship continues to um, have have players come come play for us. Sacramento Republic in town Saturday, 7.30. That's going to be the home opener. Tickets available right now at eplocomotivefc.com. More with Andrew as we continue. If you want to weigh in, 505-6009. That's our telephone number. Let's head back to Charlie One to get this traffic update. We're talking Locomotive FC with Andrew Forrest, general manager. First match will be coming up this Saturday night. 7.30 tickets available, eplocomotivefc.com. It'll be the Sacramento Republic uh, coming into Southwest University Park. And uh, you mentioned before in the last segment that the league has gotten better and better every season. It seems like the bar is going higher and higher, which is good. That's what you want. Um, probably USL is, you know, from where this was when this was an expansion club to where it is right now, it just seems like USL continues to gain more and more credibility each season. Absolutely, and there's there's definitely some some stuff that uh, I can't totally talk about that that the you know is coming that would put us on an on an international pedestal, um, you know, not in a major way. So there, there's good things happening. There's evolution. You know, I think the the leadership in the USL does a good job of looking around, taking the temperature, and, and seeing where where there's potential voids, where we could be different, where we can be unique, and uh, and, and looks to to fill those gaps that, that may exist. And, and I think that our league is exciting, um, not just in the championship, but League One and, and, and on down. There's a pathway for, uh, for in League Two for, for the, the 18 to 22, 23-year-olds to come through. So there's – and, you know, every you know a lot of teams have that pathway, guys that have played on multiple teams and worked their way up. And I think that that's, that's a great pathway for, for the young American can player, players specifically and especially. Oh, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Now, um, speaking of that, you know, talking international and things like this, um, a Diego Luna happens once every, gosh, what, decade, right? This is not That's generational a, talent. Yeah, it, it is. It's not a, an everyday thing to uncover a, a 16-year-old phenom who you sign up, plays at that young an age, tears the league by and, ca- and just, you know, immediately takes the league over by storm, eventually gets a transfer fee that's a record fee to an MLS club, and over, you know, and ultimately you guys get a chance to, to help reap the benefits on that. Yeah, I think it was a, it was a nice record that uh, that stood for about 10 days and then uh, was passed by Orange County and then Colorado Springs sold, um, I believe they sold Haji Berry for, for a... An, Significant amount of money. Um, to, he was terrific too. To, he he he's, he can play. That guy mm-hmm. can definitely was terrifying. Um, the the speed on that guy. But yeah. um, you know, I think that this will continue to happen. I think that's the point. Is is we are locomotive. What's I hope Pittsburgh sells somebody for five hundred k. Louisville's got a, what they're saying is a seven figure. Sorry, yeah, seven figure player in the in in the Widner boy. Wow. Um, Champions League teams are looking at this guy uh, based on the report I read that the USL put out. Like. 
we want that to happen because then the next one's going to be 1.5 and then we're going to be talking millions and millions and millions which is is what's going to drive the these clubs the revenue from America i mean i, I firmly believe this the american athlete is the best athlete in the world we and now we've got more of these athletes playing soccer they're going to we're going to get into europe we're going to get into places that that we have traditionally not been and i believe every year mls the number that mls sells to to europe that number is higher and higher. That's that's the Aronson brothers. That's Ricardo Pepe. Like mm-hmm. these things will continue to build. It's like building a house. Yeah. Or, or, or you know, how do you get to the, build the fifth floor? Well, you got to build the first floor first. But we're getting there. And both leagues are. I've heard that you know the goal is when a player gets an opportunity to play at a higher level, you're not going to stop them and say no. We want to keep you. You want to give them that opportunity to really reap the benefits of that. Um, in, in the case of Luna. Could you have hung on hoping to get more money down the road? Or do you do you say to yourself, you know what? He's got the great opportunity in front of him. We're going to be compensated very handsomely for that. Let's go ahead and pull the trigger. Yeah, technically he was he was contracted through the end of this year. If we wanted to, we could have he could still be here, but that's not that's not who I am, I don't think. That's not who Alan is. Mm-hmm. That's not what our ownership group is. We had an opportunity with a with a you know a group that we liked. It's the best opportunity for Diego, and that was the driving force. Yes, yes, we're going to need to get something for him, and, and we got what we thought was was good, really good. But ultimately, I want to see Diego Luna play for the national team. Yeah. And uh, he's got a better opportunity on a bigger stage in MLS. I'm not, not, we're not naive to that. So I want, I, we wanted it for Diego, and, uh, and I think Diego understands, appreciates. You know, De- Diego come, has come back on multiple occasions. He was here for World Cup watch parties over the holidays. He's a good kid. Um, when I watched us play RSL, he was the best player on the field. Um, th- I just hope RSL has a history of not not making great decisions with players, and they've been very poor um, over the last few years. I hope I hope they give him a chance. I do too. I, I do too. Um, and by the way, does that does that part uh, go into the factor with you when you see yourself? You know what? You want what's in the best interest of them, and you know what RSL's history has been. Do you almost try to find a franchise that you might say, "Hey, better fit"? They'll do. They'll do right by the kid. Or um, do you say, "You know what? This is you can't. You can't hold past judgment in that when you're dealing with somebody on your club that that is getting that kind of interest." Yeah, I don't want to bore everybody to death, but but with MLS being single entity, it's it's not a. Everybody signs their contract with MLS, not with a team. Mm. So when when, when a team expresses interest, all the other teams get a get a sheet or an email about it. If they have interest, they start. They can come to the party, and uh, RSL was was the biggest partier. Oh, so. that's interesting. Okay, so that's the way it works. Yeah, so, it's very interesting. That is so. So we've always wondered if the clubs themselves are the ones that uh, will express interest. So when the league does, then essentially the league tells the clubs, "Hey, highest bidder is going to get them," or something along those lines. So this is how it goes. So. The best I understand it. The the team expresses interest. A team can express interest. In this case, RSL expresses interest mm-hmm. in Diego. Then it goes to the to the to the front. You know, all the contracts are held by MLS. So then the MLS talk to MLS. You know, what's the situation? Is this possible? Et cetera, et cetera. Sure. They okay. He looks like we've got someone that's interested. Then they again correspond with all the other teams. Is anybody else interested? And I again, I don't know how exactly it works in the back, but I don't yeah. know if there's like a bidding process. But, uh, you know, everyone else has an opportunity if they want it, and uh, RSL wanted it the most. That's fair. And that, that actually 
gives us some clarity to understand how this league operates in terms of teams and clubs that are trying to gather young talent mm-hmm. like this and add to their roster because you always wonder, well, how does it go? How how does RSL get something that somebody else doesn't have that opportunity? Yeah, and I would have never known yeah. if I had not gone through this process, but it is extremely interesting. I think there's certainly limitations to, to the MLS structure, but there's also some uniqueness to it that makes it interesting and part of me on the business side is like, Okay, that, I can see why that makes sense. But USL doesn't have that model when it comes to a players themselves. No, it's they? more traditional, like like NFL, uh, NBA. You know, if there's guys, you know, talk to agents. This guy may be offered X. This guy X times times two, and and they make the decision um, based on where they want to go. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a little bit more traditional maybe what what the american sports fans used to more with andrew as we keep things moving you want to get in 505-6009 that's our telephone number right now back to adrian and one last sports center update thank you very much again saturday night uh, sacramento republic will be here uh, tickets available now at eplocomotivefc.com with andrew forrest joining us here uh and talking about this year's club uh, tell me about the uh, Developmental Academy. I heard that things have been going very well, and it might not be long before we start seeing a lot of these youngsters coming up and getting an opportunity to contribute in a very big way on the main roster. Yeah, the, the U used to be the U19s. Now USL's reformatting as the U20s. This team is is essentially a, a mini-pro team, and, and there is some serious talent on this team, um, both local and we, we have a couple of guys that were – Moved on from MLS academies because they thought this was a better opportunity. So we're we've had an unbelievable, uh, you know, considering this is barely two years old, we've had an unbelievable run of play. We're going to Dallas Cup, uh, which is the biggest youth soccer tournament in the country. In a couple of weeks, we've got our entire uh, academy was was it uh, you know you have to apply to get in, and we were uh, all admitted. So this this is a big step for this club, and and we went to the semifinals, I believe, last year at the U nineteen level, and uh, and look to get back and, and and make some noise there, and really begin to look at a, get a national presence um, and reputation. We've we've joined, we're in two national leagues, um, and and we're doing well in these leagues, in in against national competition and in, in, in target rich environments where there's a ton of talent, you know, California, Florida. The, the Mid-Atlantic there where there's a ton of players, we're competing against these teams in Austin, San Antonio, Dallas. And uh, we go to these different showcases and there's college coaches everywhere and they're they're asking about our kids. We actually, this if you know anything about college soccer, University of Virginia is one of the best mm-hmm. historically. We got an email from them saying, hey, do you have any players that, that we should look at? And, and I mean, these are these are watershed moments for, for a young, very, you know, a young club in general. We're barely going into season five. And for the youth in general, this is year two of, of co- very competitive youth soccer. So to be getting emails like that, to, to sign two players from our team um, in, in Abarca and Maldonado to first-team contracts, pro contracts, when these guys could have gone to big-time colleges, to send nine kids to play college soccer, like this narrative is is getting to be pretty pretty big time and uh, in, in a very short amount of time. And we're really proud of that, and we're trying to foster and nurture that and uh, and continue to see where this thing goes. And they play the same style that the major club plays so that when it comes time for a potential call-up, like you just mentioned with the Barca and Maldonado, it'll be a seamless transition going from what they've done in the past to, uh, to what they're going to do now, with the exception, I guess, of coaching changes when sometimes you try to overhaul that and, and mirror the current uh, current staff in place. Yeah, we, we kind of made a decision as a club that we, we want to play – a John Hutchinson's type of style. You know, we're not interested in, in bringing in someone that's going to play 
old English kickball or, you know, we, we kind of want to try to have an identity. We want our coaches to have their own personal stamp to that, but we want to play attacking soccer, high press soccer, uh, you know, pressure, trying to, you know, get shots on goals, getting the, getting the defenders forward, the wingbacks forward. And, and there's different interpretations on that, certainly. And we, we don't expect everyone to be a carbon copy of the, the previous coach, but those are the attributes and qualities that we're looking for. And, uh, and, and you know, Brian's not going to look just like John, and we don't expect him to. We don't want him to. But we want there to be, at the, at the base, some qualities and attributes and an underlying philosophy that is somewhat similar in the sense that it's attacking, entertaining, goal scoring. That's what we want to be. Who are some of the newcomers that I think fans are going to be really excited about this season? Yeah, I think one that's, that is going to have a huge impact is, is Mark Navarro. Um, you know, still kind of figuring out, what, you know, I see a lot of different formations out there, so I'm not sure where he's going to play across the back line. But this is a guy that, that played three years in La Liga, has played against Ronaldo, has played against Messi, um, was sold from Espanyol in Spain to, I believe, Watford at the time was in uh, the English Premier League and and played there. So this guy, you can't fake that pedigree. Uh, he's been around. Know, he, yeah. he, and he's, he's only 27 now. He hasn't played in a year and a half due to COVID and, and some various other things. Um, but we think that that he could be a an unbelievable one of the biggest signings that this league's ever seen if he can be who he was just you know a year or so ago. So I think that that's one guy that we're, we're super interested in, and one that we had on the team last year that I think has, has taken massive strides and is gonna is gonna vie for a starting eleven a job is is Miles Lyons from Barcelona Academy outside back. This guy took off. You can tell who takes off season seriously and who doesn't. He looks bigger. He looks stronger, faster, more confident. Um, Touching the ball is great. His understanding of, of positioning is unbelievable. So I'm really excited to see those two guys and um, you know see what kind of impact they can make immediately as starters or as subs or whatever they're asked to do. Those are two guys that I've definitely got my eye on. Meanwhile, you have three home matches in the first week. Yes, we I mean, do. people have to understand that uh, not just Sacramento on Saturday, but Wednesday you host the Colorado Springs Switchbacks, which is always a fun rivalry. And then Detroit City FC comes to town a week from Saturday. So three in seven days. It's a lot. First off, it's a lot of soccer, but it's also three home matches and not having to travel until uh, you head out to Louisville uh, coming up on the 25th. Yeah, I think there's, there's serious advantages to having three home games. Everyone's trying to figure it out. Everyone's trying to get fit. Everyone's trying to figure out their style, their new pieces. So I think that being at home is a massive advantage early on in the season where soccer may not be the primary thing that's on display. It'll be more reliant on maybe athleticism and individual skill. But I think a huge part of that are the fans and the atmosphere and the altitude and the fact that a lot of these teams, Detroit's training, I don't know where they're training, inside. Um, and they're, they're going to have trouble. They're going to have trouble when they come here. We hope that Colorado Springs hasn't seen the sun in in three months and that they're going to even it's supposed to be I think 80 on Saturday it's going to be hot compared to what they're used to so we want you know we the weather the altitude and and most specifically the fans are what give us the the home the 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 home field edge that we're looking for and if we can we can walk out of these first three games flying high um, it sets the tone for the rest of the year and it's it's instant belief that that we can we can do this. Uh, so I think this is a massive opportunity. I'm seeing it as a, as, a, as a huge positive for our club. And it's such a different experience going to a locomotive match versus a baseball game with the Chihuahuas because realistically, for 45 minutes, 
you don't leave your seat. Because if you go try to get the food or go to the restroom, you could miss the only goal scored. So for the most part, fans are glued for that entire match. And then the intermission is when they get a chance to walk around and take a little bit of a breather. Yeah, it's it's a different cadence than baseball. Baseball certainly is, is a ton of fun. Um, soccer is just a dip, different atmosphere. It's, it's 45. You can almost put your watch to it. 45, 15, 45, you're on your way. Yeah. Um, and, and you you just know that get there early, get your, get your hot dog, get your beer, find your seat, and then run up, get your refill, hit the, hit the restroom, and, and you're back just in time for the second half because it's, it's nonstop action. And I think we've proven that over four years. There have been some unbelievably memorable moments. Uh, uh, and it seems, it seems to me, I don't know the number, but it seems to be about 85 90% of our goals are scored on the eighth notch end. And I don't think that's a coincidence. You had some huge promotional giveaways last year. Those jerseys were extremely popular. I saw a picture of that Noche de Loco jersey. That looked unbelievable. So, how do you top that this year? What are you trying to do to, to throw a couple of those promotional nights out there for the fans? Yeah, we've got, we've got some really great promotion, promotional items throughout the year. Um, I will try not to get yelled at by our marketing staff and give too much away, but we've got the flag on Wednesday versus Colorado Springs. I can promise you that there will be a couple, um, one at least once in a lifetime jersey, um, a, a collaboration with a a local celebrity that will look, I've seen what Very we've nice. come up with. It is unbelievable. Um, there may be a replica throwback to years gone by that I think fans will really enjoy. Um, of course, we'll have the fireworks nights throughout the um, and, and I think there there may even be a, a fan pick, a fan vote where fans can can give their opinion on some different items that we may look to do. And uh, the retail shop has stepped its game up. We've got a lot of cool things in there as well. Doesn't hurt to have Adidas, does it? No, it helps. Three stripes does help. I figured as much. Hey, listen, great to see you. Thanks for the time. No, Come absolutely. back during the year and uh, wish you guys nothing but the best here in 2023. We appreciate it, Steve. Thank you. You got it. He's Andrew Forrest, folks, uh, General Manager of Paso Locomotive FC. 20 in front of 7. We'll wrap it up next with our final countdown, 600 ESPN El Paso.